Good morning. It's a blessing and joy to be here. Uh, it's encouraging uh, to see my brothers and sisters, to see uh, brothers and sisters that are, are visiting us from other places. Uh, what a blessing that God has given us to be here together. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me um, as we start today in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Uh, I would just, just want to start by reading verses 1 through, through 4 here. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then when you were baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. In this passage, uh, as Paul encounters these disciples who had only ever heard the uh, baptism of John, uh, the preaching of John, uh, the fact that these disciples did not have an understanding or awareness of the Holy Spirit was evidence to Paul that they must not have been baptized into Christ's baptism. To Paul, teaching about the Holy Spirit was an essential aspect of teaching the gospel. Uh, A foundational aspect uh, of one's response to the gospel. Unfortunately, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and in our lives as disciples of Christ, uh, at least in in my experience, too many times has, has been glossed over. Many Christians today may have little more awareness or understanding of the Spirit and its work than these disciples of John did. Uh, I'm afraid in many cases this is because uh, perhaps we've overreacted to the modern charismatic and Pentecostal movement that put ultimate significance in some frenzied emotional experience of the Spirit. Uh, And we've overreacted by undermining the work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, dismissing it as something that plays no significant or identifiable role in the Christian life uh, beyond, uh, of course, being the source from which we have received the scriptures. And so I want to spend some time today digging into what the scriptures have to say about the Spirit. Uh, Clearly, it is a central aspect of our understanding of, of the gospel, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, And I originally planned on preaching one lesson. Um, I I now plan on preaching multiple lessons. I'll tell you, I don't know how many lessons I I will will preach. I may not preach them all sequentially. um, But but I want us to take some time as a congregation to to think more about the Spirit. We we did try to do this intentionally about a year ago. I I want to try to do that again. Um, And um, I, I hope to be able to kind of uh, approach what the Bible says about the nature and the work of the Spirit from many different angles. Today we're going to talk about the Spirit as the breath of life. I hope that we'll be able to talk about the Spirit as the blessing of God's presence, the revealer of truth, the empowerment for God's work, the anointing for his purpose um, as time goes on. Uh, And what I want us to try to do in this study, what what I want to try to do in this study, uh, is to start by kind of 
throwing out everything we think we know about the spirit, um, you know, what, what it is that we are supposed to believe uh, and teach about it, what we think we may have felt or what we think we may have experienced about the spirit, what false doctrines we're supposed to be combating and avoiding, what, what positions or arguments we, we've heard and maybe adopted as our own, and just start from scratch. Um, start from square one with an open mind, an open heart, an open Bible, uh, and let the scriptures from beginning to end uh, be the foundation on which we understand the spirit, its nature, and its work. And to successfully do that, we're not going to be able to jump right into the book of Acts. <laughs> uh, there's a lot that's said about the spirit before we even get to the New Testament. And so in, in each of these studies, I want to start with the Old Testament, start with what the Old Testament shows us about the spirit, um, and then follow some of those concepts through into the New Testament, uh, and then even into our lives today. I hope that'll be helpful. Uh, as our primary goal in, in opening up our Bibles together is to know God, right? To know him more personally, more thoroughly, that, that we may uh, come to have a closer relationship with him, that we may better reflect his character in our lives. To, to start an understanding of the spirit, I, I think we, we have to start with uh, really the, the word spirit itself. In the Old Testament, the, the word that is very consistently used to describe the spirit of God is this Hebrew word ruach. Um, and it very often is translated breath or wind. Um, and many times spirit is this idea of an unseen source of life or power. If you want some technical definitions here, Wilson's Old Testament word study says breath, air, wind. It can also mean the vital spirit uh, life, both of men and beasts. I can mean the rational soul, mind, spirit, as the seat of the affections, emotions, and passions. Uh, Jacinius's Hebrew lexicon gives many of the same de definitions, breath of the nostrils, breath of the mouth, uh, the life of man and beast. But one of its last definitions, as it applies to God, the Jacinius Hebrew lexicon says, the divine power, which like the wind and the breath, cannot be perceived, and by which animated beings live, by which all the universe is animated, filled with life, and governed. And so the, the very root idea of, of even the very word spirit is this idea of the, the breath of life, that which gives life to all creation, the unseen being and divine power uh, that breathes life into the universe. Uh, and this idea of wind or breath is really behind uh, the word spirit in many different languages. Once we get to the New Testament, we come to the Greek word pneuma. Um, that, that's where we get our English word pneumonia. Uh, it comes from the idea of breath. Uh, pneumonia is a disease of the lungs, right? Uh, and even our English word spirit comes from the Latin word for breath. That, that's why the word inspire is the idea literally of breathing life into something. Uh, the word expire is the idea of the breath of life leaving something. Um, so our English word, uh, all, all of these words, Hebrew, Greek, it all comes back to this idea of, of the breath of life. And, and so I don't think we can truly understand the nature and work of the spirit unless we start here with first understanding this basic idea of the spirit as the source of life, the breath of life. Very similar to how in the Old Testament, blood is kind of the visible element of life. Remember in Leviticus, the life is in the blood. Well, well breath 
is the invisible element of life. And as it refers to God, it calls our minds to his role as the giver and originator of life. And the spirit of God uh, we're first introduced to in creation, as active in creation, specifically in giving the breath of life to all creatures. The first time we read this word ruach, uh, spirit, is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit or breath of God, the Ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. At the very beginning, the very beginning of creation, we see the spirit is present and active and attentive to the needs of creation. And specifically, uh, look look in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Notice the language that's used to describe the giving of life to man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Um, now, this is a slightly different Hebrew word, the word neshama. There, there are some parallel words there. This also can be translated breath. Um, and we won't go into all the distinctions. But, but you see this idea. It says that God breathed life into man. What, what does that mean? You know, is it that God has literal lungs with literal air that's coming out of a literal mouth that, that then gives man life? Well, of course not. We, we understand God is not flesh and bone. God, God is spirit. So what, what is this idea of him breathing life into us, calling our minds to? Well, well it is this idea of, of his spirit, his breath animating us, giving us life. Uh, and in fact, he's the source not only of, of human life, perhaps this word neshama is more unique to human life, uh, but as we talk about the spirit of God, ruach, It's applied to all life. In Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 17, and chapter 7 and verse 15, the the animals that are destroyed in the flood, as well as the animals that are preserved on the ark in the flood, are all said to have the ruach of life, the spirit of life. And so all life is originated in God himself. Uh, And that comes specifically from this idea of God as spirit, God as ruach. Uh, We all depend on God for life and breath. And God's spirit continues to sustain all life on earth. In Job chapter 34, uh, verse 14 and 15, this is towards the end of the book of Job, where a messenger from God, Elihu, comes in. And Elihu says here in verse 14 and 15 of Job 34, uh, speaking of God, if he should set his heart to do it, uh, uh, to it and gather to himself his spirit, Ruach, and his breath, Neshama, uh, all flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. Here it is his spirit, his breath, and he has given it to mankind. He has given it to all animals. But if he takes it back, it rightly belongs to him. And if he wants to, he can take it back and all of creation would return to the dust. Um, There's a sense in which this is not our spirit. (laughs) This is not our life, our breath. This is his breath that has been given to us. Psalm 104, if you want to turn there with me, Psalm 104, 
the psalmist here has been speaking about the, the wonders uh, of God's work in creation, specifically in the animal uh, kingdom. Uh, and in verse 27, he says, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, ruach, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, ruach, once again, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Here, all creation, when, when creation is given life, when, when new uh, birth, when new life comes, it's because God has given breath, God has given of his spirit to creation. And when God takes it away, uh, those things will, uh, will die. And so all of life goes back to God's spirit. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, speaking specifically of mankind, uh, it says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so God's spirit is the giver, the sustainer, and the possessor of all Life. It all comes from him, it belongs to him, and it will return to him. And so, at a very foundational level, if we want to understand what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about the Spirit of God, uh, we, we need to start with this idea that Spirit equals life. That, that Spirit calls our mind to God as life giver, life possessor. Uh, but, ultimately... As we talk about God's spirit and relationship to his people, he offers and he promises to give his spirit in a much more significant way than all of creation possesses his spirit, right? In a much more way than, than filling our physical lungs with physical breath. That passage that Jonathan read for us a moment ago, Ezekiel chapter 37, we see that God promises new life to the spiritually dead through his spirit. If you want to turn back there with me, Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, here we see this picture uh, of God's people as a valley of dry bones. Um, and Israel, as they have been judged, as they've been led into captivity, spiritually speaking, they see no hope of new life. No hope of being restored to the spiritual life that they were supposed to have in fellowship with God. Um, but here God gives them hope. Uh, no, notice down in verse 5. Ezekiel 37 starting in verse 5 it says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Later on in verse 9, it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, 
Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. How is it that these dry bones are going to live? These dry bones, they're, they're as good as dust. There's no life left within them. There's, there's no hope of life within them. What we see here in Ezekiel 37 is a reenactment of the creation story where God breathes life into the very dust to bring life into man. And here, that's what he promises to do for God's people once again. And every time you see the word breath and wind here, that is our word ruach. That is later in verse 14 translated spirit in the ESV. I will put my spirit, my breath within you. What, what, what is God promising them here? Is Isaiah or Ezekiel in this case literally out there preaching to physically dead people? Is that the, the point? No. no he's, he's speaking to spiritually dead people, people who, who have been separated from the source of life. And he is telling them that, that God is going to return to them, is going to give them new life, in this case, by giving them his very spirit. And, and in fact, all that we see here in chapter 37 is an illustration of what he had already told them he was going to do in chapter 36. Look, look back uh, a chapter in chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27. Ezekiel uh, says, speaking the Lord here, says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 37 is illustrating what God had already promised he was going to do. Give them his spirit. Um, God is going to replace their hardened hearts and lifeless spirits with a new heart of flesh, a spirit of life. How? By giving them himself his own spirit to dwell within them. And the primary point here is not the hope of bodily resurrection. I think that's foreshadowed, certainly by Ezekiel 37. Uh, but the primary point is the hope of a spiritual resurrection, a renewal, a restoration of God's people. Uh, the source of life is offering not, not simply to reinflate their lungs and sustain their physical lives, but to take up residence within their hearts to cause his life-giving spirit to dwell within them, to make its home within them, to give them life, not just in a, a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, in transforming them from the inside out. And the same picture of new life is the focus of nearly every Old Testament prophecy that looks forward to the coming of the Spirit. We've been reading in Isaiah recently. Look, look back to Isaiah chapter 32. Uh, as Ezekiel uses the picture uh, of breath uh, giving human life, Isaiah uses the picture of water 
giving life to the plants, to God's creation. Again, just an image of what he's going to do for his people. Isaiah chapter 32, Isaiah has been describing God's people as a deserted wasteland filled with, with briars and thorns and unclean beasts. And notice what he says in verse 15 of Isaiah 32. It says, until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field and the effects of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. What, what, it, what is going to happen when God pours out his spirit? Again, that, that's this picture of him pouring out water upon this thirsty ground. Well, it's going to spring up with life. And it's going to be fruitful. Is, is God saying literally that, you know, their, their orchard, orchards are going to be giving them all the apples they want? And, and Well, no. This is a picture of spiritual life. In fact... Galatians 5, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the kind of fruit that we're talking about here. The new life that we're talking about here is a transformation of character reflecting the, the very life of God, who he is within us. You see that in verse 16 and 17, then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field and the effects of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. That, that's the real point that we're seeing here. God is giving us new life, breathing new life into us, uh, not simply to, to bring us to a state of, of physical life, but to bring us to a state of spiritual life, thriving in his character and his service. Later on in Isaiah 44, verse 3 and 4, he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Like willows by flowing streams. Can, can you think of another time in scripture where it talks about a tree planted by the waters? If, if you're familiar with Psalm 1, that's the very picture that's used to describe the one who is spending day and night in God's law, um, who is fruitful in his service. That, that is the, the very foundational idea of what the promise of God's spirit is intended to do. It's intended to reanimate us in his service and to his glory, reflecting his life. Uh, th this is not just the Genesis 2 picture of uh, God granting us physical life. Th this is God putting his very spirit within us. And we see that as we come to the New Testament as well. God's spirit in the New Testament is our source of new birth. Look in John chapter 3. You may be familiar here uh, with what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Tells him he must be born again. And when Nicodemus is confused about that, in John chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom uh, of God. 
you know, being, being born again of water would have been something that they might have already been familiar with to some extent. John's baptism was this idea of repentance, a baptism of repentance starting anew through, through water. But back in John chapter 1 in verse 33, John contrasts his baptism with the baptism that Jesus will bring. John chapter 1 in verse 33 says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so what we see Jesus saying about this new birth is it is a Birth in water, but not just in water, it is a being born again of water and the Spirit. And that's what Jesus goes on to focus on in John chapter 3. Look what he goes on to say about this in verse 6 through 8. Jesus says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. They understand to some extent this idea of being born of water, but they don't grasp all that they need to about this idea of being born of the Spirit. He explains, he's not talking about physical birth. He's not talking about physical breath. Uh, he's talking about some, something unseen, but something with great power to give us new life in a much deeper way than we experience physical life. That God's spirit here uh, is the source of our new birth. Think about that for a moment. When when you think about a father giving birth to his children, uh, a father passes on uh, a piece of himself, right? Uh, A portion of himself to, to give birth to that child. Well, what, what has God done for us? God has given us his spirit to give us new birth. We, we, we have the, the divine DNA to be reproduced within us. God's spirit is, is intended to reproduce himself within us, his character within us. And we see the idea of the Spirit being linked to our salvation and our new birth throughout the New Testament. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who he poured out on us, that, that's Old Testament language. That's the language of, of Isaiah, of Joel, uh, of God pouring forth his spirit upon all flesh. And, and what is it produced? He says, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We, we are regenerated, made new, Uh, Not just by being cleansed with water, right? We are made new by the work that God's Spirit does within that. Being born again of water and the Spirit. And so you cannot experience salvation and new birth apart from the work of the Spirit within your soul. You cannot experience the transformation and sanctification of new life without the fruit that only God's Spirit can produce. Uh, 
Peter tells us in Acts 2 what we need to do to experience those blessings of God's spirit, but, but we cannot experience them apart from him. Right? And, and when, when we see Acts 2 and Peter telling the people on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Jews on the day of Pentecost that he's preaching to, they don't just have the context of what they're seeing happen before them and what Peter says in Joel 2. They, they have the context of the Old Testament. It, it, it's more than just the outward physical manifestation of the Spirit's gifts that is being referred to there. The core idea that the Old Testament would have been pointing these Jews to all along is this time where God is going to replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh, with his Spirit within them, breathing new life into them, giving them fruitfulness that they might be trees planted by the waters. When God gives his Spirit to us through being born again of water in the Spirit, um, that is the only way that we are going to get new life. And we're going to get his life. But it doesn't stop there. When God gives us his spirit, we are not just receptacles of spiritual life. God promises that we will become fountains of his spiritual life. God's spirit should make us into to springs of living water. Look, look in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, remember when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. In verse 13, it says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offering to, to transform us into springs of living water of eternal life. Well, what, what is he talking about there? Well, turn a couple chapters later, John chapter 7, we see the exact same language. John chapter 7, verse 37, beginning, says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What, what does it mean for us to become uh, fountains of living waters, for, for uh, rivers of living water to flow forth from our hearts? That, that's, that's a picture of Isaiah 32. That's the picture of Isaiah 44. When God is pouring out his spirit, um, and, and this isn't just him pouring out his spirit on the dry and thirsty ground and just going to kind of soak into that ground uh, and fall deep into all the, the cracks and crevices and then, uh, you know, it's going to be dried up in a wilderness once again. No, this is the picture of him pouring it forth in such abundance, immersing, by the way, when we talk about baptism, that's, that's the word, immersing us to the extent that we ourselves become an oasis, an oasis in the desert, that we ourselves become a, a place in which this, this spiritual life and fruit is flowing forth. And as, as his spirit reproduces itself in this new life within us, 
as we now reflect his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that is intended then to spread life, not just for ourselves, but for all those around us. We're becoming wells, springs, oasises of water that, that others around us will see the character of God, this new life living within us, and that that will be reproduced in them. Is that who we are? Is that who we are being? It should be. And if it's not, maybe we haven't truly been born of water and the Spirit. God's intent in giving us his Spirit, giving us himself, is that would transform us, spiritually speaking, to give us new life, that we might share it with the world. (laughs) Remember John 10 and verse 10, when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is he talking about there? You know, is he just saying that, that they can have health and wealth and long life and, you know, enjoyable experiences here in this life? Of course not. And when Jesus says he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, this is what he's talking about. That we might become springs of life to the world, of spiritual life, of the hope of eternal life. That we might, through his spirit flowing forth and bearing fruit from us, produce spiritual renewal and regeneration in others that we come in contact with. That we might produce new life that will last beyond this broken world. And so ultimately, God's spirit becomes our guarantee or down payment of the life to come. This is water that is springing up even unto eternal life. Look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 Starting in verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What what gives us assurance of life beyond the grave? Well, certainly our flesh doesn't do that. Our bodies don't do that. Uh, The more and more that we look at our bodies, the more that we, we grow older, they're a constant reminder that we're progressing towards death. They're corrupting, right? And so what, where is our hope of life beyond the grave? Well, it doesn't come from, from this body. It comes from God's spirit. And though our outer man is decaying day by day, as we see the life of the spirit not diminishing and decaying within us, but, but growing and thriving and progressing through the years, we see that God is helping us to grow and bear his fruit more and more. That's not progressing towards death. That's progressing towards eternal life. And that spirit that is producing that life and that fruit, 
that transformation within us is the same spirit that brought life to Jesus's body, that brought about the resurrection. And so as we see that spirit at work within us and through us, we know that just as God gave life to Jesus from the grave, we too can experience that resurrection, the transformation of this mortal, fleshly, corruptible body into something much greater. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Paul is talking about this idea of, of approaching death, our bodies here as a, a tent that we're carrying around, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we know, uh, verse 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Notice verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us of the spirit as a guarantee. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That, that word is literally down payment, right? By God giving us his spirit to dwell within us, to produce fruit within us, to produce spiritual life within us, it is a foretaste of this life that is going to spring up into eternal life, right? And as we see it at work within our lives, it bearing that fruit within our lives, it's our guarantee. It's our down payment that the joy that God's spirit is producing in our lives now, the hope that it's producing now, the peace that it's producing now, that's just a foretaste. That's just the down payment of what it is that we look forward to enjoying in the presence of the source of life for all eternity. Do we have that hope? Have you experienced the new birth and the new life that the Spirit promises to give. The washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. If not, it's available today. Acts 2, Peter tells us exactly what we need to do in response to the conviction of our sins and our brokenness and our spiritual death. He tells us to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins, and we will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. I realize there are a whole lot of questions about the Spirit that we didn't answer today. Um, I realize we, we probably left a lot of things somewhat ambiguous at this point. How exactly does the Spirit do that? How, how, how is that accomplished? How, how does that work in our day, lives from day to day? Um, I hope that we will be able to de delve into some of those questions more deeply. Uh, in future studies, but I think this is where it has to start. This is the foundation uh, of understanding uh, the foundational principle of, of God's spirit, the spirit being life, being life in a much deeper sense than, than just this, this physical breath that is within us, um, but of a much truer and greater hope of life that he is offering us. And so I ask you again, do you have that life today? 
If not, um, won't you let us help you find it? By responding to the gospel, the good news that God wants to be in fellowship with you, that God wants to dwell within you, that God wants to produce new life within you. You have to die before you can have new life. Um, your, your, your flesh, your uh, old man must be buried in the waters of baptism. But you can be raised, we're told, to walk in newness of life through the power of the very spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Uh, if you haven't done that, uh, if maybe you've done that, but you're not living it and you need to repent, that, that's why we're here. You can reach out to your brethren individually, but if you want to reach out to this group uh, as a whole and ask for the, the prayers of these brethren, uh, express some uh, re- repentance or come to the Lord for the first time, that is why we are here. Uh, and so we're going to stand and, and sing uh, a song. And as we sing that, uh, if, if you need to, to come forward to the front uh, and, and we can uh, meet, meet whatever need you have.